0: Today's episode of The Mismatch on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and Los Angeles, and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh, hot meals to hospitals and clinics, fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us, and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Please go to the slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise $250,000, and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK.
1: Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon. And joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O-Comment, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Controversy, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin Opinionated, Kevin! Vernon, how are you
0: doing this Tuesday morning, man?
1: As well as we can do, um, let's get to a few stories that have happened since we last spoke. The first of which is there was news that I'm sure you got a lot of text about, I got a lot of text about over the weekend that the NBA was going to be opening up facilities for their players uh, coming up on May 1st, which is now just a few days away. And now by the time we have recorded, that has been changed at the soonest it would be May 8th. And this is for the States that are loosening up um, their shelter at home edicts uh, that have been sent out. And so Atlanta was kind of the one that was brought up because Georgia has started to open up gyms uh, and whatnot. But now it looks like though it was this Friday, it is next Friday at soonest. And here's me betting, Kevin, it is going to be longer than that till things open around the country. This feels a lot more like it was a response to what was going on in Georgia than what the majority of nba teams feel is a responsible action
0: yeah i mean i had a couple conversations over the weekend and the first one was on friday night before that report came out and someone said to me hey if the nba were to do this uh what do you think they would do to you know to make sure that there's no competitive imbalances where one team's able to start training and another team can't and then saturday morning the news dropped and then of course more people start talking about it and And someone said to me, they're like, this doesn't seem right, where one team will be able to, and their players will be able to train, sure, but there'll also be a greater risk, too. Will other teams begin to travel there as well? And, of course, the NBA quickly did change their ruling from May 1st to May 8th, and we'll see if that stays as well. Uh, But like you said, Chris, I would be a bit surprised if that date doesn't move again to a later date.
1: Well, and just for those of you that don't know, what the, the major basis for this, or at least the team that was used, was the Atlanta Hawks because they are in the state of Georgia. And for those that are around the country or around the world that have not kept up with this, the the governor of Georgia has been the, the, the greatest of colossal dopes in all of this. Um, this is the guy that at the beginning of April said, well, it's been a real game changer because within the last 24 hours— I was told that asymptomatic people can pass on the virus. It's like, bro, have you not had a TV since February? Like, what are we talking about? This was the frigging governor of Georgia who's doing a press conference saying he just found out that asymptomatic people could pass on the virus. And so nobody is going to follow the lead of, of this kind of a guy. Right. And so. Now you see where uh, Travis Schlink, I believe, was the one quoted like, yeah, no, we're not we're not doing this. (laughs) Like, even if we're allowed to do this, we're not doing this. Um, And so I think you'll probably get closer to what you were talking about, Kevin, which is some kind of happy medium of, hey, how can everybody start to do this around the same time rather than, oh, there's this team in this market and their state is allowing people to go to gyms so they can go to their gym um i think we'll probably get closer to a situation where there isn't this competitive imbalance and so just feels like a you know a false start on this honestly
0: yeah for sure and look everybody's confused everybody's confused the nba doesn't know we've talked about this for over a month now the nba doesn't know when they'll be able to back to some semblance of normalcy and this is just a little bit of a false start so i I, it was the right move for the nba to change from that may 1st date uh, for reopening facilities to may 8th and it's also worth noting that one of the uh, requirements in there would be a maximum of four players in a gym at once and I believe they also said players would have to wear masks as well until they're actually on the practice court itself. Uh, so precautions are being integrated in there. Uh, it's just a matter of when this actually is going to end up happening.
1: Well, I can speak to in, in my case in, in a market like Memphis, nothing is n- none of the big businesses are going to have like that employ a lot of people in this town are going to have people there until like the 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 next marked date is May 15th. That's the next marked date where a decision will be made from there. But generally, the edicts have been made March 15th. Or I'm sorry, not March, May. May 15th. And so that the edicts have rather been made like that, okay, we're going to reevaluate then. So I would imagine that that date, honestly, even though it says May 8th now, is probably a lot closer to when people will even start making decisions.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, it's like as of right now, the governor of Massachusetts is speaking, you know, as we're speaking right now as we're recording, and he's supposed to be giving an update on the non-essential business closures, which are still currently May 4th, uh, if that date's going to move, and which I would expect it to, um, but don't know that until after we finish recording this podcast. But hopefully, you know, he's, uh makes a smarter decision than, than Brian Kemp, who you rightfully called a dope, uh, the governor from Georgia.
1: <laughs> yeah uh a story did break yesterday that Sixers assistant GM Mark Eversley has agreed to become the Bulls new general manager agent Janowski reported yesterday uh Eversley will join executive vice president of basketball operations Arturis uh Carney Sovis and lead the reshaped front office i mean this is another step towards um w- w- when When this originally all came down and John Paxson was moving to another role and they did blow out uh, Gar Foreman, I I kept saying, like, geez, man, like, in the end, who's got Jerry Reinsdorf's ear? And, you know, Paxson still being around as a consultant, are these guys really going to be able to run their own show? I would say there's typically... Power in numbers, and so he is at least being able to, uh, Carney Chauvis is, put together a front office. I do not know much about Mark Eversley. Do you? So I can't really, I I don't know if this is good hire, bad hire. I mean, obviously everybody's going to build up whatever accomplishments a guy has, but I don't know him.
0: Yeah, I mean it's hard to know what he actually played the biggest factor in. Right. You know, Keith Pompey re- reported that he was one of the big reasons why Toronto was so interested in DeMar DeRozan or why Philadelphia was so interested in Matisse Thybulle as well. Uh, you can point to the successful draft picks, but I'm sure there's probably some poor decisions along the way as well. I mean, ultimately, like that's true for any general manager, any executive in the league. Uh, for Mark like it's just great he's getting an opportunity, uh, first Canadian basketball player to become an NBA GM, the first African-American GM in Chicago Bulls history. Uh, those are the accomplishments we can look at and think, oh, this is great. Great for the Chicago Bulls um, and for Karshi Novus to have to hire him underneath him and work together. This is a good thing for the Bulls to at least upgrade over Garpacks and what they had before to yeah. have this brand new reshaped front office. It's
1: fascinating because, uh, you know, just reading here as I'm catching up, he started at Nike. That's where he, you know, I guess made all of his connections. So he was a Nike guy that ended up getting hired by uh, Brian Colangelo. And then, kind of followed Colangelo around and, and, in Toronto and, that, and Philly. That's
0: that's one thing worth noting, right? He did yep. follow Colangelo around, but when Colangelo was let go from Philadelphia, he was one of the guys who stayed on the staff. Right? Uh, you know, so, some guys did move on. Eversley did stick around.
1: Yep. Uh, you ever heard of this guy, Bobby? You're from Philadelphia. Have you ever heard of Mark Eversley? I mean, do you know? Do, does anybody that you know
2: have an opinion on him or losing him? I think the Sixers fans that I follow who are <laughs> pro- process truthers, process trusters, are a little bit skeptical of a guy like Mark Eversley because when Calangelo was removed and I know a lot of Philly people who are not fans of Calangelo, when Calangelo was removed, I think people interpreted it as a problem that a lot of his staff stayed behind ah. because it makes it hard to have a smooth transition and to move on from an era that was mired in controversy and general weirdness. So I think people have a largely negative view of Eversley. I don't know if that's really founded in anything, but we'll see what he can do to change that public perception.
1: Fair enough. A uh, couple other things. Uh, Aaron Gordon dropped a diss track about, uh, about Dwayne Wade. Nine out of ten. Did you listen to it, Kevin?
0: Yeah, it's fine.
1: <laughs> I, I actually, to I'm gonna tell you something. The video is cornier than all hell, but
0: I thought the video kind, funny.
1: <laughs> I, I was, I was kind of impressed. Well, it because here's the problem to me, the video wise. Okay, it doesn't feel as tongue in cheek as it should be, right? Like I can't tell if it's supposed to be if I'm supposed to laugh at it. Or if he's like, you know, acting like a boss about this whole dunk contest thing. Like, I don't really, it it falls in a weird line. Like, it feels like it could be a Saturday Night Live skit that's mocking rap videos. Or I kind of feel like he's taking himself seriously. But I will say the rapping was not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. In fact, I thought it was pretty good. Aaron Gordon had a couple of bars.
0: Yeah, it was, it was solid. It was solid lyrically. Yeah, I, it was fine. It was not the bestest track, but it was fine.
1: That's when, you know, guys are really bored as hell. He's uh, poor Aaron Gordon has been sitting in his house stewing over that dunk contest thing. But you know, maybe, maybe, not. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> wouldn't you think you'd drop that sooner to the dunk contest? I feel like he's been sitting around his house, like mega bored. And I was like, all right, I'm sick of this crap, you know, or maybe he watched it back and it infuriated him all again. But I mean, we're, we're several months past that dunk contest. It was so weird. Even when I watched that video and thought about that dunk contest, doesn't that seem like just forever ago? It really does now. It seems like forever ago. In fact, I, I found myself trying to remember things about the season. That's how, That's how long ago it feels now, which is sad, but it just does. Or is that just me?
0: I I mean, everything simultaneously feels like a century ago, but also yesterday. Uh, I mean, like this month right now, it's April 28th. It, It feels like April just began but but in some ways it's gone by incredibly slow so that's true for nearly anything When i think about what the with the season like we're doing our defining moments series on the website we're all writing articles about like the best moments of the season and the weirdest moments of the season like chris paul you know talking about jordan bell with his jersey untucked and and all that like that feels like forever ago and yet it's sort of just like feels like yesterday everything feels that way in life right now it's so weird
1: uh much to my dismay, Zion Williamson did an interview last night and said, "Where there's a will, there's a way." And I'm staying in shape, and I'm ready to go whenever they crank it back. So, as I said, uh, a guy like Zion, a guy like uh, Nikola Jokic, these bigger guys, uh, that they would, uh, you would think that uh, there's many of them that could be at risk of, you know, getting lazy, sitting around, eating a lot of food. And then maybe not coming back in the greatest of shape, um, especially considering Zion had been off his legs for so long and had only played 19 games since he had come back. Um, and that uh, training hard might be a difficult task uh, to do, especially given our circumstances. But Zion says he is. hes You could throw the ball up tomorrow and Zion's ready to go. So that was a pleasant surprise. Look at uh, Mr. Responsible Zion Williamson.
0: Every player I've talked to since this started for interviews, uh, it sounds like they were just itching, itching to get back to the court. Even guys on some losing teams <laughs> want to get back onto the court. I mean, there's this belief that a lot of guys are going to be like, eh, I'm just ready for summer, you know, packing in, season's over. But that's not the case. It's that most guys, every guy that I've talked to wants to get back out on the court. Uh, and it does seem like that teams and players are doing everything they can to keep guys in basketball shape. Zion, of course, you know, it, it, I believe he mentioned or was reported that Pelicans sent, you know, workout equipment to every single player's house to keep them in the best possible shape as they can while doing Zoom workouts and all that stuff, too. Um, so teams are doing what they can with these guys. But again, it, it gets back to. What we've talked about a bunch. There's a difference between basketball shape and being in regular person shape. And they're going to still need that time to get back on track, whether it's three or four weeks before actually playing competitive games. So it's great to hear, though, that Zion is staying in the best possible shape that he can because you got to keep these guys healthy.
1: Look, we all know this, too. It's very difficult to self-motivate especially if there are oh, no you know, kidding at your house. I mean, you know, I, I, I see every once in a while uh, someone will ask uh, Shea Serrano, who is always willing to give tips uh, about, you know, how he got to where he is. But he says, uh, you know, he, he has this office elsewhere because if he stays at home, he's not going to get anything done. And I am of that cloth, right? Like if I go somewhere, I'll go and work out. I will go. But if you just leave me to my own devices, I'll I'll find a way to just sit around and, oh, I'll do it tomorrow or whatever else. It's very difficult to, you know, you have to really, you know, be self-motivated or have been at a breaking point where you're just determined that this is what I'm going to do because I think there's a lot of people that, you know, whether it's working or working out, it is much, much more difficult to do it from home. And everybody's learning that now. Everybody is learning that over the course of the last couple of months, how difficult it can be. Whereas if you go to the gym or if you go to work, um, you know, like you're there to do what you're there to do. And when you're at home, that's not where you're typically working out or doing your work. And so it's very, very easy to get distracted. And you're asking guys to keep in pristine shape under those circumstances. That's, That's a challenge. For all of us, much less professional athletes.
0: I think I'm the opposite. I I have a hard time finding the motivation to go to a gym. I I, I don't know if I'll ever have the will or the motivation or desire to go there and get like a summer bod, but I do have the will to like do a high intensity interval training workout for 15 20 minutes at home or to ride a stationary bike at home uh so it's for me like really it's a, bit, it's a yeah it's just the truth it's a bit easier in that sense that i've always sort of always just done at at home workouts when i'm actually when the when the switch is flipped on for me being in a healthy mode because sometimes i turn it off for like months at a time where i'm like eh, i just don't care um Kevin's Maybe coming out of this of the with a
2: beard all the way down to his six pack, Chris.
1: Man, you ain't lying.
0: <laughs> trust gotta, trust hey, me, hey, no. hey,
1: Kevin, Kevin's gonna look like damn Dan Blazarian by the time this is all done. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Kevin Oblazarian. <laughs> uh, uh, hope I can have the amount of fun that he has too. <laughs> Man. Man. No, uh, trust me, no, I, I am not at all gonna have <laughs> Kevin, a six pack. I've not worked that hard. I'm still eating i'm still playing call of duty at 11:30 at night with Let like one of those amy's burritos that you told me about
1: oh let's go <laughs>
0: i'm let's not going go. full diet mode here i'm just you know trying to trim some of the fat that i gained the past year or so with everything going on so
1: <laughs> if i don't have Kevin O'Connor's bearded head photoshopped on Dan Blazarian by 10 p.m. Eastern tonight.
2: <laughs> yeah, what is this all for? <laughs> what point? am I? What what are, what are we even
1: doing these shows for? If I don't have a Kevin OBlazarian Photoshop. <laughs> By yeah. ten Eastern, then we we're not doing Friday show. How about that? It, so if,
0: if I if I get some good photoshops, I will use them as like my Bumble and Tinder photos. of catfish! <laughs> 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 I want That's some hilarious. high quality ones. <laughs> All right.
1: Well, the biggest thing that has happened since we last spoke, Kevin, is we saw episodes three and four of. The Last Dance Uh, three was primarily about Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson. And then in uh, and and then they're working together and how that relationship worked and kind of why it worked and got a little background on that. And then episode four was more about Jordan climbing the mountain that was uh, the Detroit Pistons. And then finally beating them and the Pistons walking off the court without shaking hands. And so you got a little uh, insight into how all of the members, uh, or at least the key members of that situation feel even over 30 years later, um, including Jordan still hating their guts. Um, But let's talk about our biggest takeaways uh, from what we watched. I will tell you that there's a lot of this stuff that I did know. but either you forget or in this case the documentary gives you another side to the story that maybe you didn't know which is including uh their views on this even you know the, w- the one thing you can't know is how everybody feels about it 30 day uh, 30 years later and Jordan's candor about these situations is truly a godsend because you didn't know how he's going to play it but I swear, he is keeping it real about stuff for sure. sure. So let's uh, let's go through your, your biggest takeaways on uh, episodes three and four.
0: I mean, like just number one, I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed those two hours. I mean, Dennis Rodman—he was somebody that you knew, even if you didn't know much about the NBA in the nineties or even the two thousands too. I mean, he's one of the most interesting people. In NBA history dated celebrity icons, befriended a dictator, <laughs> didn't play high school basketball, but became a Hall of Famer and a five time champion. It's wild, you know, and through all like the eccentric, you know, qualities about him. I thought it was really cool that they showed just how much he really loved the game and worked at it. I did a clip of him talking about how he would go to the gym with guys who would just miss shots and he would try to read the trajectory of the rebound. So he would be able to enhance his athleticism by being in the proper position, knowing that the, where a ball might bounce. That was sort of like his own way of doing analytics, you know. Before it's time to know the the highest probability of where a ball will bounce, depending on where it's shot from and depending on who shoots it. That was really cool for me just to see the how Rodman's off court, you know, nature and his on on court nature, for that matter, too, was balanced with his will and drive and love for the game.
1: You you know, Kev, as 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 we think about that, I am. I'm taken aback by one of the things that was a great takeaway from that portion of it. Um, of course the story about him going and having somebody shoot and then studying rebounding is that many times I think that we think that these gifts are God given or that a talent is innate, um, And there's no question that there are some people that have a knack for something or they are quicker learners or that when you teach them how to do something, they have the ability to uncrack a level that that none of us will achieve. That being said, so many times what you find when it and whether it is LeBron James or whether it is Michael Jordan or whether it is Kobe Bryant or in this case, something different, Dennis Rodman. It is also the guys that work the hardest. It is not a coincidence that a guy became this amazing rebounder, one of the greatest rebounders in the history of the NBA. Um, It's not just because he had a nose for the ball. He also practiced this, you know, And, and how many guys truly go out and do that? I will guarantee you there's almost nobody in the NBA that takes somebody to a gym and says, miss a million shots, and I'm going to, you know, watch where it caroms." And it does bring up uh, this thought of, as you're, as you're watching this and you're seeing the level of preparation and work that goes into becoming what Dennis Rodman becomes, I do have to wonder, there will be people out there that will say, of course he's getting on the court. What does it, you know what I mean? Of course he, of course Dennis Rodman. Like, it doesn't matter what era. Like, there is such a premium put on spacing Shooting threes. Does a Dennis Rodman who is amazing at rebounding and amazing at defense, does that guy get on the court now?
0: You know, what's fascinating about Dennis Rodman too is he is a player who obviously, obviously is, was an unbelievable defender, could defend guards, bigs, wings, any group position, but he never averaged over a, a single steal or block in a season in his career as a guy who averaged 32 minutes over his career. And a lot of the analytics would say that guys who average low steel and block numbers are not, you know, high end defensive players. So with that said, I do wonder if maybe, if he were a young player, obviously coming from an NIIA school, uh, 25 years old, as a guy with the limitations that you're talking about as a shooter, as a free throw shooter, uh, the limitations with his block and steal numbers, if that guy would have entered the draft and maybe gone overseas and gotten lost in the shuffle or would have gone in the G League and gotten lost in the shuffle, it is very possible that, that could have been the path for him. In today's league, almost because of the amount of information that we
1: have. Listen, I'm not saying that it's not insane. As anybody that listens to this show knows, I miss these kind of guys, and I do think they have value. Even though, but I am telling you, with Dennis Rodman, it would now nobody would be talking about what an amazing rebounder and what an amazing defender it would be. It would all be about his warts. And how you don't have to guard him and look if they, you know, they should be playing this guy that can space the floor over him. Now, one thing you can say to his credit, which is, uh, you know, you do have the steals and blocks numbers, which are not out of out of control. The rebounding numbers are obviously out of this world. The other thing that is out yep. of this world is, you know, steals and blocks. One of the major things they do, assuming your team is able to recover steals, of course, blocks. Usually um, you're creating your team extra possessions and this last year or second to last year with the Pistons, he got, he had 523 offensive rebounds. <laughs> I mean, that is just preposterous, preposterous. So, I mean, you know, what is the value of creating an extra possession? 523 times. In 82 games. (laughs) I mean, that that number is just so outlandish. 523. Um, He had 523 offensive rebounds and over 1,000 defensive rebounds. And that year uh, had 1,530 total rebounds in that season, uh, the 91-92 season. He averaged... 18.7 rebounds a game, 12 defensive, six and a half offensive rebounds. He averaged over five offensive rebounds every season for a good like six, seven year span. I mean, there's a value to that, right? And he shot 52% from the field. So, but he only shot it for a career six times a game. So he just didn't He wasn't part of your offense, right? Yeah, you know,
0: it's like like he was offensive rebounding the ball and then kicking it out, out, finding shooters immediately. Yes, exactly. And and in today's league, I mean, offensive rebounding today, teams typically get back on transition rather than crashing the offensive boards. But if you had a rebounder at the level of a Dennis Rodman, would you therefore tweak your philosophy by having a guy like him crash the boards knowing that if he gets that rebound, he's going to have three or four shooters around him on the court to find and kick out for, for an open spot off three. Uh, I wonder if like a guy like him came were to come along again with his blend of anticipation and work and athleticism would would a team change their philosophy and use that guy as a weapon to get those extra possessions that you're speaking about?
1: No, the other thing is, does he just play like small five? You know what I mean? I mean, if you're grabbing that many rebounds, uh, theoretically. I mean, I was trying to think of anybody that was really like this, that got to play a lot on a good team. Like, maybe the closest would be, like, DeAndre Jordan. Like, DeAndre Jordan was never taking jump shots. And they obviously hacked him at end of games. But there were those seasons where he averaged an inordinate amount of rebounds. He was never the defender Rodman is. So, I mean, maybe it's a little... It it, it might be a little... uh it might be a little extreme to act like he couldn't get on the floor. I just feel like nowadays, before you would get to see, like what you were saying, before you would get to see everything that he could bring to the table, he would he would be discounted coming out of college. You know what I'm saying? Like he would just be right off the rip. You, you would never see that because he would just be thrown aside because he can't do what you need him to do in your offense now, which is everybody pacing and spacing and making sure everybody's guarded
0: i mean it's it's not like he wasn't discounted when he was drafted either he went 27th in the second round at the time so he did you know fall past a bunch of guys and by the way like pulling up that 1986 draft it's actually kind of shocking to see some of the guys drafted in his his range sabonis was taken by portland at 24 mark price taken 25th in that draft, there was other talent. Nate McMillan, 30th. <laughs> there There's some quality players taken later in the first round that year. So, you know, you see that, of course, every year in the draft, there's steals. But you do see certain guys like a Mark Price go there, and you do wonder maybe it would be the inverse. Would have Dennis Rodman because there's so many more eyes and people and gyms uh finding these these talented players, would he not have played all his college years at an AIA school? Would he have gotten plucked from that school and transferred to a Division I school and gotten more opportunity? We it's it's impossible to know. But the fact is, is with a player with like Rodman, to your point, his journey would have been far different had it happened today because of the amount of resources in today's league, for better or for worse. Hey, Chris, before we move on, I have to tell the listeners about today's sponsors. As the novel coronavirus pandemic escalates in the United States, public health officials are encouraging those who are experiencing signs or symptoms of COVID-19, such as coughing or fever, to seek medical guidance remotely. If you or a loved one are feeling sick or just feeling worried, there is a way to get help without leaving home. Rowe is offering free telehealth services for people seeking guidance and information on COVID-19. The service is available free of charge in all 50 states and in Washington, D.C. Rowe's free online assessment will help determine if you are at risk, and if appropriate, Rowe will connect you with a medical provider for a free consultation. The assessment was designed by doctors and infectious disease experts and is based on the guidelines from the CDC and the World Health Organization. Visit roe.co slash coronavirus on your phone or laptop to complete a free online assessment or just learn more. If you're worried that you may be experiencing symptoms, go to row.co. slash coronavirus to start your free assessment today. That's row.co. slash coronavirus. Today's mismatch is also brought to you by FanDuel. If you thought there were no live sports this weekend, then you'd be wrong. The Arkansas Derby is running at Oaktown Park with horses competing for $1 million in purse money and points to qualify for this year's Kentucky Derby. TVG, a FanDuel group company, is giving you a chance to get in on the action with $200 risk-free. Watch the race live on NBC Sports or the TVG app. Download the TVG app today or go to tvg.com ringer for a risk-free bet up to $200. That's right, $200 completely risk-free. Bet with confidence, bet with TVG. Just download the TVG app or go to tvg.com slash ringer and sign up. That's tvg.com slash ringer. Age and residency restrictions apply. Void where prohibited by law. Must place first wager within 15 days of signing up. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site credit that expires 30 days after receipt. Always wager responsibly. See full terms and conditions at tvg.com slash ringer. And now, back to the mismatch
1: so we got a lot of insight into him and uh you know obviously all the off-court stuff and and in between uh the bad boys the bad boy pistons
0: was awesome stuff yeah I-, I love that yeah
1: his own 30 for 30 i mean i feel like a lot of basketball fans have a real awareness of a lot of the the rodman stuff you know whether it is with madonna carmen electro whether it is um, I, the suicide stuff, I think probably caught a lot of people by surprise, um, you know, cause that, and, and that thinking about that in conjunction with the way things would be today would just be absolutely, uh, I mean, all of this stuff would be a massively different story. A guy saying, Hey, can I go away for 48 hours would be a massively different story, but I was I, was I mean, struck e- every
0: every every part of it. I mean, today, it's, e- e- even simply like after the finals when Michael Jordan and Dennis Rod, the '97 finals when Jordan and uh, and Scottie Pippen were talking about you know whether the the coming season was going to be there next year. Uh, <laughs> that today would be even. I don't know if it even would have gotten to that point uh, with the amount of social media pressure that's on players today. But sorry, I, I no our, no. Yeah. I,
1: and the other thing is, I was struck by. And I was glad they kind of went into the whole Phil Jackson thing because yes. like you feel like, especially given where Dennis was and how Dennis was acting, that he was the absolute perfect coach for him. And I think it would be fair to say probably the only guy that could understand slash harness him at that time. Like, he's probably out of the league if he's on another team. Seriously nobody's putting up with that crap but Phil Phil like you know him himself was a wild child and you know they even mentioned and it's just kind of in passing oh yeah and he did, <laughs> and he did acid you know what i mean like so i mean <laughs> how many how many how many nba coaches are we saying that that is probably true of like none right like there's probably none that are like phil jackson and that kind of embrace this he's different he's a rebel Here's what he needs in order to be able to deal with him. And so I'm not so sure that Rodman's story isn't radically different if he isn't acquired by the Bulls and Phil Jackson is the coach of that team, because I would would venture to say almost any other coach would be like, to hell with this and be in the GM's office the first day, be like, get him out of here. He's a distraction. This is ridiculous, whatever, you know?
0: Sure. I mean, in many ways, Dennis Rodman was fortunate to get Chuck Daly as well in Detroit. Absolutely. You know, I mean, and then, of course, things didn't go well for him in San Antonio, but to get Chuck Daly and then to go to Phil Jackson in Chicago, two coaches who understood that he is a very complicated person, that he had to be handled differently, and they were willing to handle him differently. Um, in the grand scheme of the entire team, but you know, Phil Jackson obviously deserves loads and loads of credit for that, but so does not the whole team as well uh, for understanding that Dennis Rodman is different. And that is what you get with him. Um, and that you need to do certain things to get him activated on the court. Uh it, It's uh, Phil Jackson, man. Like I love, I hope there's like a, an entire episode dedicated to him. I don't know if we're going to get that uh, considering so much has sort of been sprinkled in throughout. Um, but, Like like it goes without saying that he was the perfect coach for this team. And he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, But it's also amazing just how differently he did it. Uh, The Zen master with just the way he connects with players, the yoga that they showed them doing. Um, during that episode, I uh, just had such a fascinating background, such a different type of person that you, that you get compared to like the typical coach that you might imagine who might be a jock or, or you know, or something like that. But Phil Jackson was, was like, like you said, <laughs> he did acid. <laughs> well, and, and Kev, let me say,
1: let me tell you something. Um, It's one of the things over the course of my time covering the NBA that I have changed about and that is that when you watch games the easiest thing for people to do is to say, this coach made this mistake. This guy, he's playing this guy and he shouldn't be playing this guy or this lineup. Does he not even look at the lineup data or whatever else? And there were like, it's funny. I think there's probably a lot of people that listen now and they would certainly consider you to be the more data driven of the two. But as I've said many times on the show, like this, that was me. I was the guy who was on an afternoon radio show saying, Look, when, 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 when Lionel Hollins plays Shane Battier and O.J. Mayo on the wings, here are the results, and it makes all the sense in the world because it creates the spacing for the big guys, and so this guy is a dope and blah, 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 right? And whatever else, and I was always just, it was all about the rotations, the substitutions, and then the data and what backed it up. Um, and I will say that as the years have gone on, one of the things that I have learned is that that job being the head coach and dealing with it is a people job. There are a lot of guys that can do the X's and O's. And in the end, by the time you get to the biggest moments outside of like out of bounds plays, which somebody like Brad Stevens has a million in the kitty or whatever, the other teams know your plays. This is about dealing with these players, getting the most out of these players, motivating these players And then obviously, you know, make them better basketball players. Um, But that whole personal angle to it, it is, that is a gift. And that is what these, the great coaches have. There's a lot of guys that can do the X's and O's stuff, but in terms of dealing with the personalities and the egos involved and knowing how to do that, that's so much more of the job than I originally thought it was or gave it credit to. You just think of coaches and it's the plays they call and the substitutions they make and if it doesn't agree with what the data says then you're a bozo, you know, if you're the coach. But I do think that what you don't see is all of all all of that other ancillary stuff. And that is what Phil Jackson was an absolute master at.
2: You know. Can I ask you guys a question about Phil in this yeah. doc? So What did you make of how he talks about the triangle in this doc? Because to me, he tries to make it seem like it's not that special in his interviews in the doc. I mean, obviously, it's important to him. But then if you look back in the last 10 years, when he took over the Knicks, he installed coaches, only coaches who would run the triangle. To their detriment, I would say, because it was kind of an outdated offense by that time. And so I'm wondering, like, he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth on the triangle right now, where he's like, it's not that special, it's just about getting players to move versus like when he actually was in charge of an organization, it did seem like it was that special to him.
1: I think that he really believed in what Tex Winter believed in. There's no question he did. Right. Yeah. I also believe that the whole, the whole triangle thing has become, it's kind of become its own overblown subject, which so that I guess I'd fall on that side, which is like, okay, yes, the triangle is a type of offense and there's a lot of motion and there's a lot of uh, availability for it to morph into different things. And so what I have found to be true is over the years, no matter what offense it is, I'm not sure that it's antiquated. I think if you probably ran it right now with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, guess what? It'd be amazing. Like that's what I'd guess, right? And so it was with Shaq and Kobe, and it was with Jordan and Pippen, and it wasn't with a bunch of rat players. And so then we say, "Oh well, the 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 offense isn't that good." Well, like any, so there is a truth to what people say. You could have run anything if you were, uh, if you had uh, Kobe and Shaq. That's maybe so, but I will also say to to his credit, this episode does kind of make it seem like hey, you couldn't just run anything with Jordan and Pippen. What it would create was Jordan being absolutely amazing, but it might be it would not get the most out of all of the other players. I think the triangle in and of itself probably is just a little overblown. Like, all right, Let me tell you something, and this is how I say this. Guess who, guess who everybody thought was a crap coach in New York and in LA in two premier franchises? Mike D'Antoni right? He sucked. Ask Knicks fans what they think about D'Antoni. Ask Lakers fans what they think about him. He wasn't any good. Did anything change? Really? You think, you think Mike D'Antoni changed a lot? Or you think he had Steve Nash at one point running offense, and then he had James Harden at one point running offense, and he had these sorry teams in these other uh, situations that he was in? Uh, I just, I don't know. I guess that would be my long-winded way of My explanation.
0: It's it's like the old coaching adage. Jimmy's and Joe's are more important than X's and O's.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think that the problem in New York was that Phil Jackson wanted to run the triangle or the problem in Minnesota, frankly, was that Kurt Rambis was running the triangle. It was stupid as hell, given their personnel. You know, you can't just run it with any personnel. And that's what I would say is... The detriment is when you are married to a philosophy so much that it does not fit your personnel. And to that point, Mike D'Antoni has changed. Yes, there are elements of you know the seven seconds or less stuff, but he knows very well that an isolation offense with James Harden and now with Russell Westbrook suits them better than just flying up and down the court as he did with Sean Marion and Amari Stoudemire and Steve Nash and whoever else, right? Um yeah, so I think I don't know. I I think I fall on both sides. The triangle a little overblown, but in the other sense, if you got the players, I don't I'm not sure that it's antiquated and you couldn't run it, you know, or certainly elements of it. Um they did not focus a lot on him, you know, stabbing Doug Collins in the back. I thought that was funny. <laughs>
0: I mean, when when it comes to the triangle, the, the one thing I think about is, you know, Michael Jordan's willingness to adapt and sacrifice in order to be part of that system. You know?
1: Well, me- mega <laughs> reluctantly, though, Kev.
0: Yes, because of the quote where he called it bullshit. <laughs> yeah. He didn't want <laughs> when Bill to. Car- when Bill Cartwright was getting shot at the end of the shot clock reluctantly, but he was willing to do it despite all the success he had. Right. And credit to him for sticking to it and being willing to do that. Because like, yes, I, I agree with you that, you know, like I just said, Jimmy's and Joe's are more important than, than X's and O's, but the system can influence and enhance a player's skill by putting them in better positions to succeed. Or as Phil Jackson said, it made it about more than just the one player. It got other guys evolve, involved in the game. Uh, that's what Steve Kerr has talked a lot about with the Warriors as well. Uh, You know, when it comes to their system, not running a ton of pick and roll, that's because he says he wants the ball constantly moving. So other guys are more engaged. That's the risk with what Houston does with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. When other guys might just be standing in the corner. You need to have the right type of guys to do something like that. Player personality becomes a factor into it. Michael Jordan on one side needed to be willing to sacrifice. On the other side, you are got to have guys who are willing to maybe just stand in the corner and take spot-up threes if it's something like Houston. Uh, So it's about having the right system that fits the right personnel and that perfect marriage with team building and coaching and production on the court, uh, creating the best product possible. It all goes together.
1: I know a lot of people have talked about a lot of different subjects that came out of it. I have not heard as many people broach. One of the things that stood out to me In watching this, of course, people are going to talk about the bad boy Pistons and how much animosity there is still there. um, And that's going to be a big subject. And then obviously, even in the days since, I believe Rachel Nichols has interviewed some of the guys and and they have gone out of their way to say, you know, oh, I would have do it, done it different. And Bill Lambier says he wouldn't have done it different whatever else. One thing that has not been talked about a lot, I don't think, but was seemed very significant to me. I don't know how you felt, Kev, but there is before the Bulls get over the hump. So the year before, okay, when they take the Pistons to game seven and there's the Scottie Pippen migraine game for game seven. Is it not abundantly clear that Michael Jordan does not believe Scottie Pippen had a migraine? (laughs) Is that not what you felt? I mean, he was like, I mean, he said he had a migraine. And I mean, you know. That's what he said. I mean, what are you going to say? Man, just tough timing, and you know, I mean, like when you say he said he had, it's almost like that. That to me is he didn't just say he had a migraine, and God, it was you know, I hate that it was at that time, and I don't blame him, but you know, he said he said he had a migraine, as if you say he said he did, if you don't believe he did, that's what I would say.
0: Yeah, he, he clearly <laughs> how it came believe, off. he he clearly believes either Scotty didn't have a migraine or that Scotty had a migraine but he but he couldn't handle it and Michael Jordan would have played through it cuz he's tougher and can right. play through it. you know. <laughs> it's one of the two.
1: <laughs> There's just no way around it. Like they he did yeah. that interview and I'm like, "Damn." He's like, "Well, <laughs> he said he had a migraine. That's not exactly the way to like go to bat for your guy, right?" Like I think he thinks he You know, they got waxed in that game. He really resents that. You could tell. You could tell. That was one of the moments that the Jordan resent came out. He could not talk about that and just, you know, give the company line on it.
0: I I wonder if we're going to get a lot more like that because Michael Jordan said that people are going to hate him after this documentary, which, (laughs) by the way, that's not going to. People aren't going to hate Michael Jordan. But how much more of these type of things will come out where people are like, damn. What an ass. Like even the the thing with Scott Burrell on the plane, right? oh, yeah. the plane at the end of the, at Just the brutal. end of the show, brutal. The four- <laughs> when he, you know, it's, I guess Scott Burrell might've had a girlfriend at the time. And Michael Jordan's like calling him Dennis Rodman Jr. Saying he always has late nights out. Yeah. So- <laughs> brutal and he's like don't say this my parents are gonna watch this and he must have been sweating this video coming out for 25 years and jordan looks at the camera and says his parents he's an alcoholic i mean damn can you imagine i was a jerk can you imagine
1: if scotty burrell's watching that game uh, watching the doc with his
0: kids you know I mean? Oh, my like, goodness. They're like, Daddy. Hey, kid. Yeah, hey,
1: kid. Hey, kids, dad's on this. And they're like, oh, there you are. And then they get to that part, and he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> he's like,
0: he's, like, grabbing, he's grabbing the swisher, and turning the TV the- off.
1: <laughs> well, I will tell you that, like, look, this thing, um, it went zero to 100 real quick in terms of the cursing in episodes three and four oh, because yeah. I settled in my 10-year-old son was there, and he was like, can I watch it with you? And I was like, yeah, sure, because we'd watch the first two, and I think there was one F-word and maybe an S-word. I mean, look, I'm not – he has heard these words before. But it got, like, maybe first 15 minutes, we're, we're dropping a couple different F-bombs and some S-bombs. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm like, maybe we should watch it on the yeah, other channel. I didn't, uh,
0: on espn too. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it just it, – it's the became, options there for you. I, I understand, but I, the first two – I, I do not think we're a, a real indication of the, uh, the amount of profanity. You know what I'm saying? I know there's the warning at the beginning. But I thought, you know, it's kind of almost like a PG-13 movie. I think the first two were, right? That's what it kind of felt like. Uh, and this one, this, one, this one got rated R like pretty quick.
0: I don't totally understand the, the FCC. How, how is it that... Swear words are, are allowed on this documentary, but not other stuff. I mean, like, what are the rules? I don't it's get nine. it. It's
1: nine. I think I think that's why they're doing it at nine.
0: Re- oh, you, so nine o'clock you're allowed you're catching to catching it at nine start, Eastern, right? Start pulling out George Carlin's seven words you can't say on TV. I, well,
1: I may be wrong about this, but you know, back in the day, I remember. Um, boy, is this really aging me? I remember my parents used to watch that show NYPD Blue. And that was a big deal when there was a there was a bare ass on TV, like one of the cops. I'm serious. I, I think about how times have changed, but there was like a bare ass on TV, and that was like a big deal at the time. and that that show was on, you know, at whatever, nine o'clock at night. So I think it is I think you have to be after Nine Eastern, but I will tell you, kev, that even earlier shows now, there's a lock there's a there's a warning that comes on my TV. Where I like, I like I, for the Last Dance, I had to enter a code to watch. I don't, I, I never recall ever changing any parental settings, but like for TVMA
0: or whatever it is, interesting.
1: I, I have to, I have to type, I had to type in a code to watch it.
0: Really? Wait, you had to type in a code to watch the Last Dance?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like it, like it. My TV automatically stopped and oh. I've never.
0: You must, you, you must have parental settings on I, there for your yeah, kids but from, from go, a but, while but I'm back. Saying,
1: well, no no no, what I'm saying is I've never done that. I've never gone in and set parental settings. So something did that automatically. Huh. I it's almost like I would have to go
0: and turn that off. Interesting. Yeah. But I mean, what what as a parent, what, what's your take on like as you have two kids, what's your take on like how accessible everything is on the oh internet my God. these days? Yeah, like you can. like you you know, like, no, no, like, like what?
1: I mean, I I've tried to do uh I I God, I don't even want to get into this discussion cuz people will end up <laughs> people will end up getting mad at me. Look, the the YouTube kids or whatever, like there's YouTube Kids and it's great. And for the little kids, like my okay, so my daughter has a Kindle and she's 6. Um and and that Kindle and I've got like the kids Kindle, right? Whatever it's called. I can't even remember what it's called. But the kids Kindle, you can't break it even if you do break it they'll replace it. And it's got all the little kid stuff and it's got games on it. And there ain't no like typing in YouTube, whatever. My son now is older and he's in this, he's a YouTube generation or whatever. And like, yes, there is YouTube kids and yes, there is uh, parental whatever. But um, what I've done is I turned on like the filter on his, which will weed out like the really bad stuff. But that YouTube kids, it weeded out way too much, you know, for a ten year old. Like I understand, yeah, yeah, like Probably I, for you know,
0: toddlers, right? Yeah, like, I mean, like he's this guy's watching, five, like
1: he wants to watch like old wrestling matches and stuff and whatever else, right? And so I think the restrictions a little too strong on that for his age. So I'm kind of in between, but I do sneak into his iPad and change the settings. There is a filter; it can't filter out everything, <laughs> but he's also not going to watch, you know, uh, uh, some. He, he can't watch some video. It doesn't like those videos that are like, uh, you know, hear the F word said, uh, 150 different ways. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that wouldn't even show up on his, you know what I mean? There's like a filter hmm. where you can at least, you know, get rid of like the explicit or the MA or like some yeah, kind of yeah. music video. That's got a bunch of strippers in it or whatever else.
0: I, I mean, um, it's interesting because, you know, we didn't we didn't get our first computer until I was I think eleven years old. Uh and like that's the first time I ever had access to like the outside world in, in the sense that like it's at, at your fingertips, right? Like watching T V with what's fed to you is different than like when you can look up anything at all. And like kids have that from birth now. And so I would just imagine as a parent it's a lot more challenging. Well, now to, to have kids you know be quote-unquote safe but i'm sure there are probably a lot of parents out there who are like ah eh, you know kids are going to get exposed and they probably just don't even bother with the filters like I, sure don't fall, contrasting I don't fall i philosophies
1: i don't fall into that completely um i also am well aware that when i was a kid i grew up in a strict house and guess what i did i went over to my friends houses to watch yeah. r-rated movies and ooh, ooh. I, I snuck behind their back to get like explicit. Oh, there I have a bit. Oh, hey, oh. my oh, look, my father, my father found NWA straight out of Compton in my book bag. Wow. Pulled it was a cassette. Wow. What happened Listen to this. you? What happened to you after that? Okay. So, <laughs> oh of course, it was horrible. So, number one, he pulls it out and is furious. You know, it says something to me. And, like, there's no explaining it. The second track is called F the Police.
2: You know, I'm a little kid. I mean, I, 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 you're not talking your
1: way out of this, right? Like, this is vile trash to my father. My father is a yeah. deacon at the church, by the way. Okay? Whoa. He rips out the ribbons of the tape in front of him. Oh, like something you would see from a movie. Wow. And, then snap, hey, and then snaps the tape in, too. I'm dead serious. It was not, it was not a kid's game. But the point is, I was the kid sneaking around to try to find this stuff. You're so damn curious when you're a kid. So I I don't have a lack of awareness of that. You know what I mean? I don't want my son, you know.
0: Definitely, yeah. Yeah,
1: watching everything, listening to everything. I do monitor that stuff. On the other hand, I know that given the opportunity, you try to figure out what's what. And what's it's, cool,
0: and it seems like you've struck the right balance where you're being, you're, where you're being. Yeah, sure. I mean, like he's gonna, he's got to find stuff, right? <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, come well, across things, you know, and it's, 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 it's going to happen. And,
1: uh, they go to a, you know, the school that my kids go to is a Christian-based school, um, mm-hmm. and it's not like, you know, overly. I, I don't know what to say. Like. It based in morality um i love i, I love the place that he goes, and he does have this you know i the reason I think I'm more trusty he does have this moral compass that mm-hmm. that I do think he uh, right and wrong whether or no matter what your opinion on uh is in religion for those of you out there listening i i am one that sees a tremendous benefit i did not go to a school like this, but I do see the whole this Developing a moral compass and what is right and what is wrong and what how to treat people and what you should be watching or saying or whatever else, I do think that there is a tremendous value to that. Some will end up rebelling greatly as years go on, of which I'm aware of. I had many friends um, that were raised very very strict, went to strict schools, and then they went off the meter the other way right to another extreme. but in their case, with mine, I have found that they have that they know What's what's right and what's wrong and what they should be doing and what they shouldn't. But if you're gonna sneak around doing it, that that makes you no different than what I did when I was a kid, or I think any of us. <laughs> We're you're all curious when you're a kid, right? You're all everybody had a friend who's you know, like they, the 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 TV was descrambled or had HBO or like <laughs> like some. It, it, it's I mean,
0: it's it's only natural for a, a young kid to oftentimes rebel against their parents or yeah. to want what their parents say you can't have that that's don't do that. that that's horrible for you you can't do that like it's only natural that a kid will then be curious about what that actually well, is I, and why and see, it's quote-unquote forbidden and,
1: well and you guys know me because i'm i joke all the time so what i do is if i'll like hear something on his ipad whatever then the next time we sit down for dinner i'll be like uh you know his mom's there right and i'll be like hey mama I'll be like uh you know what, William loves more than anything? He loves watching videos with the F word. He loves the F word. And he's like, No, I don't. Right now, he's so embarrassed. Like, what? I heard it in my room when I walked by. I walked by, and it's somebody funny. said, He's like, I didn't watch any video that said that word. You know, he's so nervous to say it, you know, that. And it's, so I just bust his ass about it.
0: He, he sounds sort of like me at that age. I mean, I remember sometimes, like, there was a certain song that would have come on the radio or, like, that I would have on a cassette that I knew had a swear, ro- a swear word in it. I would, like, turn off the radio for a bl- quick second as that, <laughs> as that word came up in a song and, the, you know, to like mute it at my own censorship. <laughs> That's
1: right. No, you learn I mean, your own censorship.
0: Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I, I was like a good kid. I was a good kid and, and I didn't want to, you know, quote unquote, disappoint my parents when I was young with stuff like that, even though I knew it would be okay. Cause they're accepting as you are, you know, with your kids. Like if that, Like, so what if William loved music with swear words or TV shows with swear words? Uh, You'd be supportive. You might just, because you know that he's a good kid. No, I will. And I just, that's that's, that's the number one thing.
1: You just, if I embarrass him like that, then he's like, no, I don't. No, I don't. I don't like the, I I don't like the, uh, so funny. Sounds to me like you love it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> right. I mean my poor
1: my poor wife deals with three children in the house, trust me. Yeah. I'm just I'm more like his older brother or something trying to get him in, trying to get him in trouble with mom. That's I'm just so trying funny. to get him in trouble with mom.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. All right.
1: Uh well, hopefully now I've learned my lesson. I'll be watching the ESPN2 version of The Last Dance when my son is in the room. <laughs> uh, but I cannot wait for next week because, real quickly, did you see the preview?
0: I did not. Tell me oh about it. Oh, boy.
1: Me in. Oh, boy. So all the news, like, this is great for us, too, as media members. So all the stories are getting out, leaking, about what's happening in the locker room, what's happening at practices, Right. Um, You know, guys getting punched to practices, guys doing this, whatever. And they set this whole thing up where guess who's jealous of not getting any shine? Horace Grant. Oh. And so even all these years later, you've got the other guys saying it was Horace. Everybody knew it was Horace. Horace was telling our business out, so they got a problem on their hands. This Bulls team has a problem on their hands where— all their news about their team is getting out and they all suspect and know it's Horace. And then the preview ends with Horace Grant saying, I never gave one story to Sam Smith. Ooh. <laughs> you know, because he wrote the Jordan rules. Yes. So it's like, how did that? How are these media members knowing everything and they all blame Horace? And Horace is obviously wow. talking on the episode. No, this ends up being good, right? Okay. This ends up being really good.
0: I'm looking forward to this.
1: How did their news get out, right? How did their news get out?
0: Hmm, that'll be Man. a good one. Just wanted to also say for Friday's show, we'll be doing some more mailbag questions. So submit yeah. those through email to me, Chris, and Bobby at Mailbag at gmail.com.
1: NBA mailbag at gmail.com. We will be doing it coming up this Friday. Thanks to Bobby Wagner, as always, for producing another episode. Kev, I'll talk to you on Friday. See
0: you, man. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network that we are launching this week. It's called TV Concierge. It's only available on Spotify. These are 12 to 15 minute mini podcasts that review the latest TV shows streaming on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO, Showtime, FX, Apple TV, wherever else. We'll preview new shows that are launching. We'll break down the biggest shows that just launched. We'll review the biggest binge watch seasons that drop as they happen. It's our new TV concierge podcast from the Ringer Podcast Network. Think of it
1: like
2: a little bit of a playlist. Pick and choose the ones you want to listen to. It's available only on Spotify.